a few moments tonight, we are going to examine the subject of hell in light of the scriptures and uh, make the connection between the message this morning and what the Lord has laid on our hearts uh, tonight. Verse 45, let's pick it up. Jesus said, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. And to paraphrase those last two verses, for everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have, speaking to the church here now, you must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. What we can glean from these particular scriptures is this. One, hell is real and the fire is not quenched. The Lord is almost redundant here, but he's making a point that is most important. Hell is real. People don't talk about hell anymore. And I don't. I don't preach on hell hardly at all. And, and there's a, you know, Brother Andy, why don't you? Because people don't get scared into the kingdom of God. Because you get over being scared. People enter the kingdom of God because the love of God draws us. The goodness of God. When we hear the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to save us and keep us out of his righteous judgment that we appreciate what he did for us so much that we believe in him with all of our heart. But folks, hell's a real place. It's not a party it is what is not as construed in uh, the media through uh, movies and music and things of that nature. Um, Hollywood uh, can accomplish a lot through special effects, and they think they've come close really to recreating what hell probably looks like. They can't do that, but they try to come close. But in the attempt, what they do is they have desensitized our young people you talk about hell to a young person? Yeah, I saw that at the movies. Hellboy, Hellraiser. I'm trying to think of other movies that just have hell in it. There's even a TV program now called Lucifer. In an attempt, the enemy is, is being successful at it to desensitize and try to bring what is truth, an awful truth, a truth that harms his efforts into the uh, area of myth and folklore and things of this nature, not to be considered, not to be grasped, not to be believed. Beloved, hell's real. It's real, and it's hot, and the fire is not quenched. And Jesus said, and he doesn't mean for us to literally amputate ourselves or pluck out our eye, but he said it is so important. What he is saying is whatever you need to do not to go to hell, you do it. Ain't nobody, and this is awful grammar, but I've been hollering this for a long time through three generations of young people. Ain't nobody worth going to hell over or going to hell for. No man, no woman, no relative, no relationship, no amount of money is worth going to hell for. No position of power or popularity or fame. 
is worth going to hell for. There ain't nothing worth going to hell for because Jesus said the fire is not quenched. It's real and it's hot. Pick it up, Luke 16, beginning with verse number 19. You know, I, I reference this often. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Boy, today is a day for gross, isn't it? So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Brother, that ain't gross. What does that tell you? That tells me that when the child of God breathes his last, the angels of the Lord escort his spirit into the very presence of God Almighty. Brother Andy, you, I believe that before my mama left this world, but beloved, when I sat beside my mother's bed and she took her last breath, I knew I looked up at the ceiling. I wanted those angels to know that I believed what this word said. You boys have come from my mama. And I'll get to see them one day, and they'll say, hey, Brother Andy, that was us you was looking for. You know, you're, you're kind of a, a topic around the camp as far as angels are concerned. Because when we go to fetch somebody that, that you're there, I'll say, hey, you watch old Brother Andy. He'll look up at the ceiling. He can't see us, but he's looking for us anyway. I've never seen one but I've never been at the side of a child of God who took their last breath that I did not know that they were in the house. Amen. Praise God. Paul Lazarus was a beggar. He was eat up with sores. He laid at the rich man's gate, but he had faith in God. Amen. And he had faith in the promise of the Messiah. Before Jesus bought and paid for him on the cross, he believed. Well, all them Old Testament people that believed in God and in his promise when they died, they couldn't go to heaven because you can't go to heaven unless Jesus takes you. So they went to a place called Abraham's bosom, and that's where they waited. And here comes Jesus with and had a convicted felon along with him. Ain't that great? <laughs> Praise God. You can tell them folks at the prison, Rich, that the first person got saved in the new covenant was a convicted felon that Jesus took to Abraham's bosom. Amen. So here's Lazarus. He's in Abraham's bosom. The angels have taken him there. And the Bible says the rich man also died and was buried, and that's the last we hear about him. All we know is that he was rich, and he didn't make it. And being in torments in hell, he lifted up his eyes, and talking about the rich man now, and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom are standing beside him. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Listen, for I am tormented in this flame. Jesus said hell was real and that it was hot. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, big ditch, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, which I didn't figure that'd be too many want to make that trip, nor can those from there pass to us, and I figure everybody on that side wanted to cross over. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send into my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of what? Torment. 
Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he, Abraham, said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. The Bible says that hell is real, that it is hot, and that it is a place of torment. It's not a party. It is a place of torment. Glory. Revelation chapter 19, beginning with verse number 19. John writes, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. That's them against us. I remember Brother W.D. Johnson said, I'm not much of a horseman now, but I'm going to have a horse that day. You remember him saying that? I have the best seat in the house. I, I can tell you what I ate yesterday, but I remember Brother Johnson saying that. It always tickled me. And he had always had a big smile on his face when he said it. Praise God. He was looking forward to something. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Don't say hell. The lake of fire. And the rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So we have the false prophet and the beast who are captured, and they are cast alive, listen, into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. We're dealing with two different geographical locations. Hell is about between 35, 38, 40 miles beneath our feet. We are closer to hell than you think. We're closer to hell than we are Atlanta. Amen. Chew on that. Put that in your post toasties for a second. It's just right down there. The Bible says hell enlarges itself. What's going on with all these volcanoes? Could be. But the lake of fire is a different geographical location than hell. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. That's us. Did you know that you were blessed and holy? Are you looking forward to having part in the first resurrection? Amen. Then the Bible says, not Brother Andy, I just want to pat you on the back, make you feel good. Say, oh, Brother Andy said something about me that was nice. No, the Bible says if you're going to participate in the first resurrection, you are blessed and you are holy. Over such the second death has no power. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, after the millennial reign is complete, Satan, who has been dropped in that hole, will be released from his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations which were in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. I told you this morning, we'll go back to Jerusalem and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now, at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus comes back with the word, the sword that proceeds from his mouth, the word of his mouth. He destroys the armies of the Antichrist, but in this instance, God the Father, and it don't take him all day to do it, he will devour them with fire from heaven. Verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are, where they have been for 1,000 years. 
The beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire, and 1,000 years later, they are still there. They have not been consumed. They have not been burned up. They have not been annihilated. They are still there, and they are still, 1,000 years later, they are still in torment. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were open, 66 of them. And another book was open, which is the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them. So you have a gathering of every human being who ever died lost to stand before the throne of God and to be judged. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So we have the contents of hell and hell itself, which will be cast into the lake of fire. God is going to take sin and put it in a lake of fire forever. How come folks go to hell, Brother Andy? Sin. Sin sends people to hell. The grace of God rescues us from God's righteous judgment. So if you ain't got no other, so if you missed the choir singing tonight and you ain't got no other reason to shout and you know you're saved, you got reason to shout tonight. Glory to God, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm not going to, and there is no, there is no greater, I guess for us, a, 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 a lightness of spirit or a, a lightness in our emotion, something that will take the burden off of us, whatever is burdening you down, if you're a child of God, at the end of the day, you can say, I am not going to hell, but I am going to participate in that first resurrection. And the Bible says, because I am going to participate in that first resurrection because I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I am not going to hell and I am not going to enter the lake of fire praise God contrary to that I will receive a glorified body Jesus has prepared a place for me in that holy city with my new name on it and I shall dwell there in the presence of almighty God with joy unspeakable full of glory and peace that describes absolutely defies description forever and forever. And I don't care if the world does say we're nuts. That's all right. Just put me in that column. If you got to be insane, you got to be crazy to be a child of God, write me up. Amen. I'm going to heaven, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus Christ 
is the holy, only begotten Son of God, and his blood has the power to wash my sins away, and his grace is sufficient to bring me up before the bar of justice in heaven, and God the Father will declare you are innocent just as if you have never sinned a single time. Not only are we forgiven, we are justified. Praise God. Now, with all the pressures and stress and everything of living in this sin-cursed world, that kind of tilts the balance in the other direction, don't it? Oh, Lord, brother, Andy, I got this, I got that. Now, everybody's got this, that, and the other. Everybody got issues. Everybody got trouble. Everybody got something. But if you're a child of God, you put that on the scale between what we have here, you know, the Bible says it's not worthy to be compared. We shouldn't even compare because the Bible says it's not worthy to be compared to what is awaiting for the children of God. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and we're not going to experience it. Verse 15, and anyone and everyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's eternity, folks. The beast and the false prophet have been there 1,000 years. And with all due respect to our folks who've got it wrong, there's no annihilation. Don't let somebody tell you, oh, eventually God will just burn all them folks up. No, that ain't how it works. You there and there ain't no getting out. And we, 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 you know, and we avoid that, even in the church. We avoid mentioning that because nothing is more unpleasant than telling somebody, Doc, you're going to hell. Because people don't believe in hell. And then, you know, the, oh, a, a loving God would never do that. Oh, yes, he would. Because we have not transgressed. Brother Mesher puts it like nobody else I've ever heard put it. You can come up, slap me in the face, don't do it. But you can come up and slap me in the face. It ain't no big deal. The Bible says I'm supposed to turn the other cheek. What consequence is that? You slap the Son of God in the face. You tread across his blood as if it were an unholy thing. People don't know who Jesus is. You slap the president. If you can get close enough to Trump to slap in the face, you're going to jail. Them Secret Service boys will be on you like a duck on a June bug. And you are going to jail, Doc, because you have slapped the president of the United States. How much more? the Holy Lamb of God. It is to whom the offense has been committed that makes it worthy of eternal punishment. Look, folks, God's going to fix this thing. Satan deceived Adam and Eve, and they sinned and messed everything up. Do you think God is going to allow that to stand? No, he is not. He is going to restore to an even better state, amen, than was spoiled by the actions of our forefathers. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, we're going to wind this thing up. Peter says, For if God did not spare, did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. I remember one guy, I won't mention his name. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. But he thought that, that, uh, every, that this applied to, there were no demonic spirits because all of the uh, fallen angels you know, were in hell. This is reserved for those angels who came down and had relations with the daughters of men back in the book of Genesis, all right? And did not spare the ancient world, listen, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, 
bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And he sums it up in verse number 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God saved Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Jesus said in the last days it will be like it was in the days of Noah. If you will wake up and pay attention, you will discover that them days is now. We are living in the days of Noah. Every, imagine, every thought of man's imagination is evil continually out in that world. It is just like it was when you read the book of Genesis, the conduct, the, the attitudes, the behavior of people. And then you go up you know, a few years after that, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, righteous Lot. Lot was a righteous man living in an unrighteous society. He was a righteous man living in an unrighteous environment. And the Bible says that it tormented him by looking out and seeing all this ungodliness that was going on. Now, I understand it was Lot. Lot made the choice. Abraham said, you know, what do you want? He said, I'll take that over there. He made the wrong choice to get there. But he was still, according to the word of God, Lot was still a righteous man. He was just living in an unrighteous environment. Can I ask all of us Christians who are here tonight, does it bother us to see what's going on out there? Does it affect us at all? Does it bother us? Have we become so desensitized to it ourselves that it doesn't affect us any longer? It affected Lot. But here's the good news. God saved Noah, and God delivered Lot. And you know what he's going to do for us? He's going to jerk us out of here, folks. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. God will deliver us. Now that I've made the foundation, here's the question, or here's the issue. Most people we see in this community that you go to whatever store you go to, wherever you get your gas, buy your groceries, pay your bills, most of the folks that you meet are on their way to hell. They're on the way to hell. Go to Walmart and just sit down on the bench. Most people go by, thank you, waiting for a ride. But notice the folks who go in and out and understand this, that the majority of those folks are on their way to hell. They're on their way to the righteous judgment of God from which there is no escape. That's how serious this thing is. And here's the thing that's on us. The only thing standing in the way of those folks and the righteous judgment of God is us. You want a responsibility? There it is. What you talking about, Brother Andy? I'm telling you, that Jesus has given the responsibility to the church. What did I read this morning and tonight? What did Jesus say? Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He has not given this mandate, this great commission to the angelic host. Now they're going to take it up during the tribulation period. 
but that hasn't taken place. But before that gets here, it's up to us. The responsibility is ours to proclaim the gospel to as many as we can reach and to take it seriously. What's happened to the church, we have become so inward focused in trying to deal with living in this sin-cursed world. We've got so much on our plate, we have absolutely ignored the great masses who are going to hell. They're going to hell, folks. They're not going to make it. That resurrection is going to take place. That rapture is going to happen, and they are still going to be where they were sitting. They're going to get up that morning. They're going to turn on the TV, and all over the news, Fox and MSN and CNN and all that other, you know, will be talking about the great numbers of people who are missing there will be a reporter in front of a hospital. Sister Brenda reminds us of this often. And they'll, and they'll say, the report from the maternity ward is whew, that all these are missing. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. What would you say? All of those are missing. There aren't any babies in the maternity ward. And mothers and fathers are running around trying to find their children because they were under the age of accountability and Jesus Christ bought them on Calvary so that when the resurrection takes place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, they're gone. Hallelujah. No wonder we sing that song, Oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. Roosevelt, somebody forgot his last name, made that song famous years ago, but what a song. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. The only thing keeping people, the only thing that's hindering people from going to hell is the church. And we have been given the commission, amen, to preach the gospel. We are not responsible for what they do with it. We are responsible for sharing it with them. We are responsible, listen, for living it in front of them. Amen? We are responsible for being an example. We are responsible for making the sacrifice. We're responsible for doing stuff that that world says is crazy. Amen. Hey, that cashier, you know, why, why are you taking that flat of water you had in the bottom of that buggy back into Walmart to pay for it when the cashier didn't see it and you didn't even think about it and you bagged your stuff up, but you're bringing it back in. You're saying, wait, whoa, wait, what? I got to pay for that flat of water. You didn't ring it up. And people look at you like you're crazy. Why didn't you just take it on to the house? It wouldn't have cost you nothing. I say it would have cost me something. <laughs> oh, no. You don't know who my heavenly father is. He would have took me to the woodshed. If I took that to the house, and let me guarantee you, I had rather go in and pay double than have to deal with my heavenly father who said, you know you shouldn't have done that. Let people think we're crazy. Let's give back. If they give us too much in change, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let's do it. When we have an opportunity to do good for somebody, let's do it. Amen. Even if we scare them to death. I told that guy at the Cracker Barrel, Brother Rick was sitting there. I gave him that $20. I said, buddy, this is God's money. You better not. I'm, I'm doing you a good deed. This is the Lord's money. This is the blessing of God 
extended to you. You better not go buy no beer with this. You better leave them cigarettes alone with this. You better not buy no junk with this. You better put this gas in your tank to do what you told me you were going to do because you're spending God's money, son. I don't know if anybody ever told that guy that before. He was, oh, I want what I want, man. I want to get up. Are you saved? You not. You better get right with God because you're fixing to miss a resurrection. I'm praying that the Lord just said, who was that guy? that gave me this money. Why did he say it was God's money? Let that be a pebble under his mattress. Does that work? Work for Saul of Tarsus. Stood there and held all those garments while they stoned Stephen, but he couldn't get away from it. He watched a man of God leave this world and enter into the presence of the Lord. And he couldn't get past it when the Lord said, (laughs) it's messing with you, isn't it, son? It's hard to kick against the goads. For years, I tried to figure out, Lord, what exactly does that phrase mean? And then the Spirit of God showed it to me. It was Steve, uh, Saul's condition after seeing Stephen be martyred. Glory to God. Folks, we are what stands in the way. And I tell you what, I want to keep as many people from going to hell as I possibly can. I'm just saying, it's just not scaring them to death. And not being, a, you know, the classical hellfire and brimstone preacher. Because, folks, you know, if, you, if you're frightened, we, we don't get frightened into the kingdom of God. Now, I understand there's good reason for it. I don't want to go to hell. But it's the goodness of God to bring sinners to repentance. It's when folks see that this relationship we have with God is real in the lives that we live. Amen. You know how that world will know? that the gospel is true when they take note of the fact that we can get along with each other. When they observe the truth that we love one another. They did what at your church? Yeah, that's, that's what we do at our church. Wow. Because what's supposed to happen here don't happen out in that world. And we are to be living examples of the demonstration of God's power to save. Amen. And you may be here tonight and you may say, well, Brother Andy, I ain't looking at nobody. If I had my mirror, I'd be looking at myself. Well, Brother Andy, you don't know what kind of nastiness, filth, and junk, you know, that, that I've experienced in my life. You don't know what my reputation is. When people call my name, they associate me with something that I've done. Here's the good news. The Lord wants to save you so he can put you on a shelf as a trophy and say, look what I did. Look what I did. I saved them from the uttermost. The book of Jude, and I'll close with this. Very simply. Says we're to pull them out of the fire, despising even the garment that's spotted by the flesh. Is that not what the Bible says? Amen. Thank you, Brother Rich. We're to pull them out of the fire. Who is? We are. We are to pull them out of the fire. How do we do that? We come. We come. You know, we live our daily lives. We study the Word of God. And what the Lord says, we do it. It's simple. It ain't rocket science. When we come together in the house of God, we do what we did tonight. What worship the Lord, open our hearts. Amen. Enter into the presence of God. Let the Spirit of God bless us. Let others take note that the Lord is real and that he is good. Amen. Oh, Brother Andy, you can't do that. You can't have that kind of church. You run everybody off. Well, we haven't yet. Amen. I mean, I've heard folks, oh, Lord, I'm scared of that and all that. 
It don't bother me. Amen. I was a little kid, first time I ever saw the Spirit of God move, heard folks speak in tongues. Bug-eyed. And I'm not, and when I've referenced my childhood, I'm not knocking the good folks at the Baptist church I grew up in. I love them. I still do. They taught me about Jesus. They did, you know, they did it. But, beloved, in that particular environment, what we do, it don't happen. Amen. And I'm not knocking them for it. But what I am saying is that the Spirit of God is real. And because of that, what I shared with you this morning, we possess in our vessels the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the question. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, then go do whatever you want to do because we're nothing more than a species of animal if Jesus is not risen from the dead. But if Jesus is risen from the dead, that means that Bible's true. It, whoo, glory to God. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then he's the son of God. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then he is the Savior. Hallelujah. If Jesus is risen from the dead, he is the soon returning King of glory. Hallelujah. If Jesus is risen from the dead, that's the question. And we have within us the answer to that question. Because it all hinges on the resurrection. And yet we possess in these mortal bodies the Spirit of God, the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead who gives us the right to tell all these other religious people that they're wrong. I just look at them and say, hey, it's like this. The Holy Ghost dwells in me. The Spirit of God dwells in me. I possess the evidence of the resurrection. What do you have? Nothing. We got a book. <laughs> Thought you could buy a sermon of me not doing that, didn't you? I don't care what your book is. What empowers your book? What does it say about Jesus? There's only one book, that's it. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, his church, the dwelling place of his spirit, so that we might, in our efforts to win the lost, might be able to present to them the living evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Stand to your feet all over the house. He's done with me.